Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Hey, indeed, there is a war going on, both inside and outside of our lives. Father, we thank you for this very beautiful day. We thank you for calling us together to listen to this, uh, to understand, to come into a greater understanding and comprehension of the spiritual battle that goes on within in what do demons do. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive, not to be afraid, but to understand and to make sense out of your word, connecting all the pieces and the dots by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that we can be fully equipped, enabled to fight the good fight of faith that you have called us to, Father. And we thank you for divine protection, that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken will be able to be used by the enemy to bring forth any shame trouble or reproach that you that you cover us lord in our health and safety in our our traveling our vehicles our finances our relationships with our families with each other that we'd rightly divide your holy word of truth and bring glory to jesus christ and thank you lord jesus for your testimony for you are the faithful witness amen well we're going to have a very exciting show today and it's you and me guys so you can surely call in i'm going to give you the phone number ahead of time it's 347-215-8051 347 347- Two one five eight zero five one, and we're talking about what do demons do? And I know there's a lot of controversy about demons. Um, you know, if they even exist, if they really exist, if they can, if if Christians can have demons, if if demons really are as prevalent as some people might think. And then, of course, there's others who absolutely discount the whole idea of there being demonic activity in the world. And so everything is given a natural cause. And with all the natural causes, there are no spiritual solutions. So uh, we're going to talk about demons today. And I think it would be good to begin with their beginning and the history of where they came from. And I know there's a lot of terminology confusion in the Word of God and through the people of God about various uh, titles and concepts. The devil, Satan, Lucifer, the devil uh, are a class of devils. Um, They are not demons. Demons are not devils. Uh, in the hierarchy of things, the devil uh, rules over the demons. The demons actually are like his little servants. And in the book, uh, so when we're talking about Jesus casting out uh, demons, they work for the diabolical kingdom of Satan, um, and they work entrenched mostly within us. But um, I, I'm going to give you a little look at what where they came from. According to Enoch, in the book of Enoch, uh, it says... Um, now, there were the giants, obviously. We know this from Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 or whatever it is. Um, when, the, when the sons of God, who were the, was the terminology used for the, the, the angels. So devils are fallen angels. And the, the, uh, the angels, some of, their, some of them, their job was to watch. They were called the watchers. 
They were supposed to watch over the children of, of Earth and protect and whatever. Well, several, uh, you know, 200 of them or so decided to uh, corrupt, uh, fall from their first position, as Jude refers to back to his references from the book of Enoch, how they, le- they left their first estate. They left their job description and decided to come in and take for themselves wives of the human beings. And, and out of that um, came the offspring we call Nephilim giants or men of renown. But it says, now the giants who produced, uh, let's see, where are we going to go? In Enoch, therefore, uh, God is talking to Enoch, showing him where these things are happening and where they come from. Now the giants who were produced from the spirits and f- from the spirits and flesh, that would be from the, the, the um, fallen angels, which were spirits, and flesh, which were humans, shall be called evil spirits upon the earth, and on the earth shall be their dwelling. So the giants produced these spirits. So when the evil spirits, quote, evil spirits have proceeded from their bodies, because they were born from men, and the holy watchers is their beginning and primal origin, they shall be evil spirits on the earth, and evil spirits shall they be called. As for the spirits of heaven, in heaven shall there be their dwelling. But as for the spirits on the earth, which were born upon the earth, on the earth shall be their dwelling. And the spirits of the giants, that would be after the giants, Nephilim, whatever, died, their spirits um, were left uh, chained to, bound to the earth. They could not leave the earth. They couldn't habitate heaven as other spirits would. So these were uh, uh, spirits of the giants afflict, oppress, destroy, attack, do battle, and work destruction on the earth and cause trouble. They take no food, but nevertheless are, but nevertheless hunger and thirst and cause offenses. And these spirits shall rise up against the children of men and against the women because they have proceeded from them. So this is the origin of this uh, treacherous, unseen uh, band of disembodied spirits. We call them demons or evil spirits. And their plight, their job is to afflict, oppress, destroy the humans. And so this, you know, if you put demons in the equation, uh, in the spiritual warfare equation, if you put demons in there, then grace makes sense. God's mercy makes sense. Uh, God is a great compassion and understanding for us because we are in such a battle and we have no clue as to what that battle even looks like for the most part because we have been so programmed to believe everything is as it appears, which is obviously not true. So we have the, the, the book of Jubilees, which is another extra biblical book that gives a lot of history about what went down and for the finer details of the stories. I think uh, actually the Bible as we have it is the Cliff's Notes on what was going on. And we just get highlights here and there. We get a little hint here and there. Uh, God doesn't go into a great detail about a lot of things. I, I would uh, suppose that those things are not that important for our salvation. And the things that are detailed out are important. But it is important that we understand it's like the tip of the iceberg. When you see the tip of the iceberg and you see a reference in the Bible to something, you get curious to say, well, what is that? Why is that there? How does that connect? Is there something more to that? And so in Jubilees, we have a little interesting situation where Noah, after he got off the boat, um, and his children and grandchildren, they you know, had the second generation going on, and he saw that his grandchildren were being afflicted by, the, um, by Mastama. Mastama was the leader of the demons. The demons were afflicting and uh, causing the children, Noah's children, to become corrupted, 
which obviously we saw that they were doing in the Tower of Babel. So these demons, the hordes, had taken over the minds uh, and the activities of his, his offspring, and he made a petition to God and pled with God that God would remove the demons. Then Mastema, who is the head of another, another name for, for Satan or leader of the demons, possibly, he also petitioned God. And God permitted, Mastema said, I want a tenth. At least give me a tenth. A tenth of the demons to remain. Don't, don't cast them all. Don't bind them all. Don't um, you know, lock them all up. So God permitted um, Mastema to have a tenth of them because he said if he doesn't have them, he can't get the children to uh, be corrupted. Well, God does not want us corrupted, but he also has to permit there to be some sort of a test. And so we see that in the flood, when the physical bodies of the giants, the aliens, the monsters, the half-humans, the um, humanoids, the <clears throat> half-animal, half-human, half-animal, half half-demon things were killed in that flood, that their spirits were not killed. And so the demons were still in full force. So as we to recap, the watchers are the fallen angels, um, and they were uh, uh, called to watch over us. They were the guardians of earth. When they rebelled uh, and slept with the humans, their offspring uh, were called Nephilim or giants. When the giants died, their spirits um, were called evil spirits or demons. And a demon, basically, if you want to think about it in scientific terms, um, though he doesn't have a body or she or it, whatever, doesn't have a body, the DNA of that demon would be half human um, and half uh, spirit or, de- or devil. And so the demons could never be saved, uh, but they were, um, they're active in the human history. and the hu- They're kind of outcasts, but they're nonetheless trying to uh, get back in. I think some of them are still trying to get saved, and we'll talk about that later in this uh, broadcast, hopefully if we get to it. Um, so they, they corrupt in various and cunning ways. Um, I'm just going to give you a quick list of what they do, and then we're going to kind of look into the scriptures. So if you have any dialogue or questions, you can free, feel free to call at 347-215-8051. We know you're listening out there, and we really appreciate that. And for those of you who grab us on the archives, that's also cool because – We need to understand this because if you don't understand about demonic activity, your life and all the trouble you're going through, the afflictions to get get the solutions, the resolution, uh, and and to avoid the concept of deliverance, you will not ever be free. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So let's look at a list of what demons do. They corrupt us in various cunning ways. They attack us. One of the things they do is they... They bring temptations to us in the form of our own thoughts and feelings. They impersonate us to ourselves. You know, that's that temptation that whispers in your mind, your heart. But you don't hear it as a whisper. You think of it as your own thought. And because you believe that and you think of it as your own thought and you think that every thought you think you thought are thoughts you thought, you, you, you immediately come into an agreement with that thought not, and not identify it as a temptation or suggestion, but you identify it as your thought, therefore something that's valid and something that you uh, sh- you should act on. Same with our feelings. Some of us are run more by our feelings, and the drama that Satan can set up with feelings is like almost incredible. The second thing they do is they well, it's kind of going along with the first thing. They impersonate that person to themselves. They get you to not only feel and think, but to crave and to want and to um, express and emote various emotions. 
various desires and cravings that they set up within your soul, which is part of your flesh, your body and your soul together equate flesh. And then they, they pressure you to act on those things. And because we are made vulnerable, um, we're weak, we have various needs and desires, we are easily set up by the enemy to, through the vulnerabilities, through the lack, through the pressure, to uh, be put in a position where we would cave in and give agreement, give an agreement to the demon <clears throat> to come in, to come in or to uh, operate within us. So they use our human bodies as their home, as their dwelling place. And we can see this from various uh, interactions with Jesus and the demons, and we'll look at those things a little bit later. And this is giving you a general overview. Um, they also crave things. They crave things that make us feel out of control, and we think those cravings are ours. And so, you know, but the obvious is that we're trying to quit what we cannot stop. And why would you try to quit something that you're in full agreement with? Why would you try to quit doing something, uh, not want to do something, uh, try to get rid of it, try to stop it, if it wasn't contrary to you? Why would you come into a, a, a disagreement with yourself and say, I want this, uh, whatever it is, this, uh, this, this substance, this whatever it is, I want this even though I know this is killing me. Why would you do that? So they have cravings for things, food, sex, drugs, um, uh, lust, various relationships, and through our humanness, they set up a need for that. And then they get us to take that thing or, or uh, a consent to that thing. Uh, for example, this, the spirits that love drugs and love to hallucinate and, and, you know, or vegetate or whatever they want to do, they will set you up to need to take that drug so that they can have it, so they can enjoy it. Um, they crave sugar. Uh, a lot of them, you know, they, they're, there's just many kinds of demons and many different echelons, but we'll look at that a little bit later again. Uh, controlling the human being, and they control us through pain and through torture, through intimidation, uh, through craving. So they get you to hurt so bad that you've just got to comfort yourself and you take that drink or you take that drug or you or you, you give in to that craving or gambling, whatever it is, just to relieve, just to silence, just to sh- make that thing shut up so that you can have a little peace. And then, obviously, it begins to take over your life. You commit sin, becomes the slave of sin. And the more we come into agreement or give place to the devil, the Bible says give no place to the devil. There it uses the word devil, but it's just, it's of that of that kingdom. Demons are of the demonic kingdom. Um, but when we give place or agreement, then we give them power in our lives, and we all, you know, and we're doing this usually to placate them. We try to uh, negotiate with them, but we don't know actually that these are demons, and so often we're just feeling crazy inside ourselves, not making sense to our own self. So the demons are there to get us in trouble. And they do this quite easily. It can be legal trouble, relational trouble. They make you to, to choose a, a lie, believe a lie, buy into a lie, and commit a sin, break a law. And then, then they come around from the other side and they throw the book at you and kind of get you in major trouble. And they shift. Um, their, their, their job also in the, uh, is to shift the general morality of society uh, to an evil uh, position to rebellion against God, to uh, soften us up for the enemy, the bigger powers and principalities to come in and annihilate us. Now, the demons have been active in our lives since um, Noah, and uh, Jesus gave a lot of um, 
uh, you know, attention to what they were doing, gave us a lot of information about what they did, how they did it. But because people in the church, Jesus gave us power to cast out demons, you know. And he said, nothing shall by any means hurt you. Uh, tread over scorpions and serpents and over all the power of the of the devil. But see, and, I, and the demons get their power from the devil, obviously, because they're working for him and in cahoots with him, if you will. So our general society has shifted the world society, the world's morality has truly shifted towards uh, idolatry and witchcraft and rebellion. We're back where we were as it was in the days of Noah. How interesting, huh? So, And they assist, actually, these demons assist the rulers of darkness to secure um, uh, their principalities or their regions. For example, a demon, a demonic, unclean spirit, a spirit of lust and perversion or homosexuality. or um, And I know people don't want to think of it that way, but you know what? A lot of what we give place to and agree with and, and, and make legal is actually orchestrated by the divider, the, the demons who set us up in opposition to ourselves. So the rulers of darkness say, for example, they want to set up a spirit of um, perversion. And they will use the demons to provoke the people to get the agreements that they need to get the power that they need to have because the power comes through agreements. Uh, when we give our, our agreement consent to the enemy to give into the temptation, the sin, to give our body over to whatever, you are actually giving, empowering the demon who then gives that power to the that power to the power or principality that is working. Uh, they're all working together on the same assignment. Um, but our agreement starts with giving into personally um, the agreements with the, with the ruler with the demon who passes that power on to the rulers of darkness to secure their regions and their principalities. Um, uh, the more evil we do, the more power they get. Uh, the more we give in to them, the more we agree with them, the more we worship them, uh, uh, take their medicine, um, agree with them. Agreements give power. Agreements are used to transfer power so that the enemy comes in um, to persuade us, deceive us, and destroy us. Um, he also convinces us, the, the demons also convince us that we are, as as targets, uh, are afraid of them, and or if we don't believe that they exist, that we are a- afraid of God, or to make us believe that God is mad at us because He's mad at them. So the devil is the demons are kind of acting out their own animosity, bitterness, resentment, whatever it is they have against God through us as well. So they make us feel like we are angry with God or we are mad at God. But the question is, if I'm mad at God, like some of you are maybe upset or you've heard yourself say, I'm mad at God, I'm mad with God for what he did, what he let happen, blah, blah, blah. My question to you would be simply to discern whether this is really from heaven and, and, and or originating at the Holy Spirit, that anger against God, or from hell, which would be originating from the devil. Just ask yourself the simple question, where is this thought from? Where is this, what I just said, where is this, um, this statement from? Is it from heaven or hell? And obviously you'd know that anger, angry with God or mad at God is not you because you are not from hell. You're created by God. You originate in the mind and heart of God. You are from heaven. And this hatred, animosity, or bitterness against God is obviously from hell. So this demon who's impersonating you to you to get you to believe you are mad at God is simply pulling your leg. <laughs> yes, you need to know that. Um, 
Because some of you are going to go into great condemnation and torment and confusion because you're going to be mad at God and at the same time feel guilty for being mad at God. And therefore, you're on the torture rack between God's not fair. He did this wrong. He should have done it different. I don't know why he did this. I prayed. He didn't answer. He's so powerful. Why did he let this bad thing happen? So you've got all that reasoning going on and you're mad at God. But then on the other hand, you know you're not supposed to be mad at God because actually you're built by God to love God and to know the truth. And so you're on the torture rack tormented between um, the guilt on the one hand of feeling mad at God and the bitterness on the other hand of being mad at him. And so Jesus didn't come to set us up on torture racks. He's come to set us free. Um, So he convinces us that uh, he, and then he reinforces the fears um, that, you know, a lot of times something bad happens, you give into it, and then Satan will come, the devil will come, demons will come to reinforce that choice, that bad behavior. Um, For example, rejection. Let's just say that you felt alone, abandoned as a child, Um, your birth was difficult, you almost died. And a lot of times when we are in these very vulnerable and crisis moments, trauma moments, um, like almost dying when you're born, the enemy will always come in. He will always come. He'll always take advantage of a crisis moment to set up in your mind a part of his program to believe, well, I wasn't wanted. I'm going to die. Life's not worth it. Uh, on the one hand, but do I want to die? No, because I'm created by God to want to live. So what's he going to offer as a solution to I'm going to die? He will come in himself as a protector demon, as a strong man, to make you, uh, protect you, help you to survive. Jesus didn't say he's come that we might survive. He said he comes that he has come that we might thrive. So, But the devil sets us up then to believe a lie that I have to take care of myself um, and that nobody loves me, nobody wanted me. I was the wrong sex, I was the wrong color, uh, you know, um, nobody cared if I was born or not, nobody showed up for my, you know, my whatever, birthday party. And so as you go on in your life, he's reinforcing that spirit of rejection. So he wants to reinforce these to build a bigger citadel or stronghold or program that, that you will begin to filter all of your interactions through a spirit of rejection or a filter of of fear or a filter of it's up to me or control or panic, anxiety. And then out of these filters and out of our responses to them come all kinds of physical ailments, allergies, asthma, panic attacks, um, tumors, diabetes, all of these things that we think are just natural physical outcomes of you know eating habits and stuff are not just in the natural realm. They are also connected in the spiritual realm with diabolical activities, agendas, and lies that we have come into uh, belief with. And they affect your immune system. They affect your, your thyroid. These demons can affect uh, your, your blood counts. They can, they can do a lot of things. Uh, and I, I know this because actually I do a lot of counseling with people. It's, this is just not talking off the top of my head to say something interesting. This is actually very grounded and founded and verified in the Word of God and through the experiences of what I've worked with other people. So, um, so they work inside of our bodies to create these kind of dysfunctions, diseases, malfunctions. Um, and then, then we freak out and then we run off to get these things fixed. And, and because we don't understand there's a spiritual element or our origin to this, we really don't get the complete resolution oftentimes. What happens is we, you know, once your body is beginning to be affected, then we start to take it more seriously. But we don't attribute it oftentimes to spiritual activity. Hardly ever, as a matter of fact, even in the church, 
we we are so notorious for re, re, uh, referring our people who need healing and deliverance back to some secular professional. Um, and Jesus never did that. He never one time said to anybody, you go, you need to go see the counselor. You need to get physical therapy. Okay, I've healed you now, but you need some physical therapy. You need to uh, get into a regimen of, he didn't even tell them to eat right. He didn't tell them to, he just cast out demons. And many times the demons were connected with their illness. And, um, and when that was the case, where there was a demon involved in that, holding that person in that paralysis or that fever, there was an immediate, uh, immediate change. So when a demon leaves, there is an immediate change. Um, sometimes people are healed gradually because they have to make, there's many lies and possibly many choices of changing lifestyles and things. But the immediate relief comes from uh, being relieved of the spirit of sense of guilt or sickness or the lie that you believe that I'm never going to get well. Once you're set free from that, then the uh, natural remedies, the medicines God has given us, the food God has given us, begin to take positive effect in our lives. So I believe that the the demons need to be taken seriously um, by anyone, anyone who is seeking physical, emotional healing, whether it's for a relationship, a a body, a situation, or for healing in a relational uh, situation, even in um, some of you in the most are entrapped in the most diabolical snares these days of court situations and uh, caught in witchcraft snares um, in relationships in the in with, in with the the world systems whatever those might be and those also are set up as traps and snares and we cannot um, get freedom unless we realize it's more than meets the eye there's a demonic assignment agenda going on and the demons receive their power from our agreements. Um, and the lies that they use are like the ropes that they use to bind us. They tell us a lie. We agree with it. He says, here, let me bind you up with this lovely, you know, uh, pleasure, this lovely. What, and, you're, you know, and here you say, oh, that looks nice. That looks good. Yeah, let's do that. And that gives them power to control you. So the lies are the ropes they use to jerk us around after we've given them a, an agreement or consent. And that agreement and consent isn't like, oh, yeah, you're a demon, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'd love to let you tie me up. No way. That'd be great. Let's gag me too. Well, no, we don't do that. The demon impersonates comes, he, his whole job, and we'll get to that in the strongman talk that Jesus gave us uh, uh, about what he does to divide the house. But we give a consent. Now, that consent can be unconscious, it can be our subconscious. It can be conscious. It can be through a passive agreement. And most of us are making agreements with demons through passive agreement because of ignorance. We just let it go. We don't submit to God, resist the devil. We don't resist him as a devil. We, don't, we think that's too fanatical. We think that's crazy. We don't think that really works in our sophisticated technology world of, of you know, iPods, Internet, and whatever else. We are so deceived. Into, into believing that we're beyond beyond demonic activity or the interaction with demons. That is our first mistake. So they want to stay hidden. They really have to stay hidden to do their very best work. And they do that by all of these kinds of rationales. And people who do believe in spiritual warfare and demons and their activity are uh, reclassified as fanatic or crazy or, um, um, you know, that and then and or the Christians might say, well, the devil is a defeated foe. Well, yeah, yes and no, defeated, but he's not he's not yet tied up. He has already 
judged and condemned, and he knows his fate. But he still runs around out there every day, all the time, constantly. So why would God give Jesus give us power to cast out demons and bind things and loose things if he were already defeated and there was no more need for it? The obvious is that he is still active, and if we just want to rationalize and and uh, deny that he's you know still active, then we are the fr- the prime targets of his um, uh, propaganda, if you will. Uh, so they do their best work when they're hidden, and for them to uh, for us to get the handle on what's going on, they must be exposed. The light of God's truth makes manifest the hidden works of darkness. So you stop believing the lies that you were taught to believe. And believe them simply because you were, you were taught to believe them. Stop it. Just look at the Word of God for what it says and read it for what it says, and you will come into an absolute eye-opening, brilliant freedom to know that this thing is a big deal, this spiritual warfare, this battle that we're in. We're not just living in this world that, that we've, you know, as we will, as we want to. There are, there are principles. There are principalities. There are rules. There are stakes. There are... The, all kinds of things going on here. And you mind your own business in this world doesn't work. You have to mind God's business in order to survive. Um, so they must be exposed and identified and acknowledged before they can be um, expelled. Um, and interesting enough, the demons also, as Paul writes about, I think it's in Corinthians first or second of chapter 8, that they are the ones who animate or give animation to idols. In the Old Testament, um, where there's a lot of idol worship, worshiping sticks and stones, and and even people were making observations like, you have to carry these things around on your back. How are you looking to them for protection when you have to carry them around? You have to, you know, take care of them. You have to bring them food. They can't even get their own food if they really, you know, what? And yet the people were persuaded and preferred to worship sticks and stones and Stonehenge and all this other garbage. Uh, offering sacrifices, including the blood of their own children, to these demons in order to um, um, in order to have power. When God was right there, the trees that verified His creation, the stars, nature, the wor- the world, and and everyone looked to the world and saw, saw that as their God. The tree, the stick, the stone, the stump was their God, and they didn't worship the one true God. And so when these things would um, become angry or offended, and there were superstitions and there was fear going on, then, of course, the people were more than, than ever persuaded to um, to give them stuff, to worship them. To. And so the animation, the, the retaliation, the unseen crazy things, like even nowadays in witchcraft, the magic, the quick fixes, the uh, psychic healings, the... Um, uh, uh, astral projection, all of these things that we are happening because demons are moving things and shifting things around and doing things, and you don't see the demon, and you just see the object move, and you go, wow, that's real power. No, that's real seduction and deception is what it really is. So, so far, any questions? You could call me at 347-215-8051, and we haven't even begun to talk about demons. But let's take a quick break here. I want it, and I want it now. Chocolate. A juicy burger with everything. A turtle brownie latte overload. A cold beer. That guy over there. That lady at the counter. Cravings. Intense desires that demand satisfaction often rule our lives. Our cravings have formed habits we can't break, even though they are breaking us. 
The more we try to take control of our lives, the more out of control our lives become. And we end up doing more and more of what we really don't want to do. In Marjorie Cole's Cravings Manual, or CD, you'll find rock-solid answers to your dilemma. No more crazy diets, guilt, denial, white-knuckling, or endless frustration. Just a release of truth from the book of Romans that will set you on the path to freedom you never thought you'd have. To receive your copy or CD of Cravings, just go to www.liferecovery.com. That's www.liferecovery.com. Hey, welcome back. 347-215-8051 if you have a question or comment. Now, let's look at what Jesus and what the Word says about um, demons again. Uh, from his point of view, Jesus and he had a lot of dealings with the devil and the demons. First of all, let's note that, and this is kind of curious, and it kind of is at the beginning, Genesis 3.15, the serpent had seed. Now, we don't just think of snakes as being able to reproduce. I'm sure this serpent was an unusual snake. And it says that God said he would put enmity between the seed of the woman and the serpent. So this serpent devil had seed or was able to procreate or or create or whatever. And so we can say that, yeah, the devil has offspring, but that's kind of a far out concept to think that the devil has kids. But when you go to John 8, 44, where we have this heated discussion between Jesus and the religious leaders, um, it, it climaxed kind of it built up into the crescendo of where he said in 44, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. Now, in case we're just thinking he was just using this as kind of a figure of speech, he goes on very specifically to describe the devil. He says, he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so he's a murderer, he's a liar, and they are of him. Now, I don't know if that meant Jesus, but you're listening to him. He did say, you are of your father, the devil. That would kind of indicate to me that either they're becoming, uh, transferring over, becoming like him, because they're giving so much agreement to his um, suggestions and temptations, uh, or, in fact, they were um, not really all completely uh, of God. They, you know, I, If God has seed, God has children, I believe the devil has children. We know that story from the parable of the wheat and the tares and how that the tares look a lot like the wheat. Now, this is a very curious thing, and we won't go into it a whole lot further, but we also do know, of course, that the devil has offspring from what we've already mentioned in Genesis 6, where when the sons of God came into the daughters of men. And in Jude, Jude is taken directly, quoted, actually word for word, cut and paste, if you will, from the book of Enoch. And Jude is that last little book right before the book of Revelation. It's kind of an interesting placement, if you will. And I'm going to read just a, a scripture, uh, just a verse from there, that Enoch um, uh, section. He says, um, he's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah and certain people who've turned the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So when people turn the grace of God into licentiousness or freedom to sin and deny the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that's what these demonic um, influences are doing. He says, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And here it is, verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own habitation, 
he has reserved in everlasting chains under the darkness for judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example of suffering the vengeance of God. So he's comparing Sodom and Gomorrah and going after strange flesh to the same thing that the angels did who did not keep their proper domain but slipped into the human realm and began to have sex with the humans. So this is a very another confirmation of the accuracy and validity of the book of Enoch. It is also a confirmation of Genesis 6, where it talks about that very thing. And for those who want to deny that, you might just get your scissors out right now and cut those two little verses out of your Bible. That would be Enoch 6 and, and 7 and then Genesis 6. Just cut them out so that you don't have to think about that anymore. Okay, um, so now... Devil, the devil has offspring, and they grow up alongside the children of God. Like I said, wheat and tares. Can people be inhabited by demons? Well, uh, let's look and see. In John um, eight forty eight, again in that heated discussion that Jesus was having uh, with the Pharisees, he says. Then the Jews answered and said, "Let's see. We're going to read. Yeah, I'll start with forty eight. Then the Jews answered and said to him." Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Well, if they could accuse Jesus of having a demon, obviously they were aware that demons could be inside of people. And even the man who brought his uh, invalid son to Jesus said he has a mute spirit. Now, obviously a mute spirit is not part of the kingdom of God. It's, uh, it was traumatizing and tormenting both the father and the child. Jesus said, verse 49, I do not have a demon. But I honor, honor my father, and you dishonor me. So we're talking here about can people, can Christians? Well, Jesus didn't have a demon, obviously, and we know that. But he was accused of. So we know that demons obviously were known to inhabit dwelling human bodies, dwelling places uh, of flesh. And um, also, they accused him again of having the power, using his power, getting his power from demons in John seven twenty and John ten twenty. Um, and they also um, uh, you know, accused him of getting that power through Beelzebub, the leader of the demons. So obviously the demons have some sort of uh, leadership in their, uh, in their realm as well. Um, so we know that the demons are alienated with the devil. They assist him in doing his bidding to control and corrupt the world. So demons are, <clears throat> um, there are, this is what I think I see. The demons are or seem to be of several different opinions. There are several different opinions among demons because they do different things. Some are still hoping that they can seek out salvation by keeping the law. And these are the religious spirits, the demons, the pious deceivers, the ones who are trying to help you serve God by keeping the law and then setting you up to break the law so that they keep you in constant consternation and, and discouragement. So I would say these religious demons are still hoping, in, and I believe this is, I've actually met some of them, <clears throat> actually hoping that somehow through your good behavior, they can tag along, ride your coattails, and get into heaven because they did such a good job of helping you to be good and keep the law. And so I think they're still hoping that there will be some reprieve on their sentence. And these religious spirits are nasty because they are, they're the ones who really corrupt this, and try to, uh, they, they mimic or try divination. They mimic the spirit of God, the Antichrist spirits, the false Jesuses, the spirits of error, the spirits of deception, the angels of light. All of these work together to mimic or impersonate the one true God. And of course, in First John, we see he's talking about 
to tie to, to, to test the spirits, to try the spirits, so that you don't get fooled by these religious demons, religious spirits. You'll find them in people who are so hungry for God. They want to do everything right. They want to be perfect. A lot of times they're coming out of these very strict churches. Uh, a lot of Calvinistic, maybe possibly. They want to be perfect, be good, get it right, make God happy, and they walk in. They're subject to a walk in a in a program of perfection, um, self improvement. Um, good works, legalistic perfection. Uh, and, and again, what happens when you try to do that? You try to be good. You actually fail. And what, where's failure from heaven or hell? So where's this whole agenda? Where's this whole method of getting saved and staying saved and getting to heaven from? It is demonic. And because the demons are very legalistic, all of them, that whole kingdom of darkness is very, very literal, very legalistic. They dot the I, they cross the T, and they make a big mountain out of a molehill uh, and make everything line up. As a matter of fact, when when you look at the patterns of generational curses in people's lives, they don't color outside of the lines much. They pretty much stick with what they've already done. I'm just so amazed if they brought uh, you know death and destruction through a particular um, method in three or four generations before you. You will find that same thing practiced again in your generational bloodline. You say, well, it's hereditary. It's um it's in the genetic history. Yes, it is. Absolutely, you're right. It's in the genetic history. It's carried on the genes and, and the DNA. And so it's been marked. God marks iniquity. Where does he mark it? Well, the only place he can mark it is on our DNA. And that would be in um, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 20, where it says God marks iniquity. Well, he's got to mark it on the DNA. So those little markers, those demonic markers, if you will, um, have given the devil a, a code, an operating code, or an entrance code to come into our generation. But he has to get us to agree with the lie first, and that's very simple. Uh, most of the time we're agreeing with lies, and we don't even know they're lies. And we don't even know we've made an agreement. Again, that passive agreement, just just submitting without even thinking, uh, giving in, giving up, making excuses for the devil, which is another very dangerous thing to do. So these demons are very legalistic, perfectionistic, striving, uh, crabby, uh, never feeling good, never feeling that rest and peace of God, always more I've got to do to make God happy or another sin I've got to get rid of. Their life is, because of religion, their life is all about their sin and their failure. And they've got, and that's not rest, that's not peace, that's what, not what Jesus said to do. He didn't say, um, okay, get rid of your sin. Guys, when you, when you get your act together, then you can follow me. So that is part of the religious set. Now there's, in Ephesians chapter um, 10, Let's see. No, I'm sorry. There's no chapter 10 in Ephesians. Sorry. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We look at some of the other things that um, we're quite familiar with, and yet uh, we seem to just kind of, I don't know what, 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 why we do this, why we just gloss over this. Oh, yeah, this. what is this? If God's talking about uh, putting on the whole arm, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might, uh, for we rest, uh, be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, which means the schemings of the devil. He's very... God is very clear right here. Uh, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Who makes the wars? Who sets up the agitations? Uh, the, but we wrestle against not flesh and blood, not human beings, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Here God is naming, uh, through Paul, several of the the hierarchy uh, divisions, if you will, demonic divisions, divisions of the kingdom of darkness. There are principalities, there are powers, there are rulers of darkness of this age, the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Those are heavenly, those are the hierarchies that rule the demons who are compelled or chained or bound to earth. 
And he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And then he goes on to talk about the armor. But we see that there, so there are various different uh, diabolical hierarchical divisions of authority and levels, if you will. But the wiles of the enemy and the demons serve in various of those different ones. So if if we're now we're going to look at Satan's strategy as he comes in and as we see Jesus interacting with the devil. Let's go to Luke for a minute. Uh, Luke 11, Matthew 12:29, and I think Mark chapter 3. Uh, we have the same basic teaching. But I'm going to go to Luke 11. It's a little more thorough in that particular passage, but they all pretty much say the same thing. Uh, Luke 11, uh, verse um, uh, 14. Let's start there. And he was casting out a demon. Oh, Jesus was casting out a demon. And it was mute. What does that mean? It wouldn't let the person talk. He was tongue-tied. Maybe he stammered, stuttered, silent, couldn't speak. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spake or spoke and the multitudes marveled. So this man who couldn't speak forever and everybody knew it was now instantly using language, instantly, whether he had been mute his whole life or something had happened to him. Somehow a demon had gotten a hold of him, whether it was his tongue or his vocal cords or his voice, uh, larynx, whatever it was, the demon had shut the, the guy down. But some of them said in their comments, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. There's your proof that, that Beelzebub, the demons have rulers and they have bosses, so to speak. They have, um, I believe they have strategies. And others testing him sought from him a sign from heaven. And he, knowing their thoughts, said to them. Now, it's interesting how Jesus seems to hit the subject and it doesn't seem to answer their question, but he's really making a point. So he's talking about, you know, if I am casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, the head demon or one of the head demons, then, you you know, the devil is really stupid because the demons are stupid. Because why would one demon work against another demon to divide the house? He says every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and a house divided against itself falls, a house falls. He says, don't you think the devil knows that? You think he's going to work in opposition to, him, to himself? If Satan also is divided against himself, verse 18, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. Jesus is making a reasonable, logical response to their accusation that he is operating under the power and influence of demons. So that would imply that Jesus is promoting the devil's kingdom, which is exactly the opposite of everything he said, everything he did. He's come to do the will of the Father. He's not here to yield himself to the devil. And yet, I think the same charge or retaliation uh, is put upon many who would work under the uh, gifting and power of the Holy Spirit to cast out demons, to do deliverance, when others look at them strangely like they're doing this through the power of the devil. Now, the devil can do a lot of smoke and mirrors. He can do a lot of tricks. He can pretend like he's gone. He can have one demon shut, shut up, move over, and let another one come out so that the first one looks like he is gone. He can do a lot of things like that, but he never really truly you know, is going to undermine himself. He says, but if I cast out demons with the finger of God, okay, he's casting out demons with the finger of God. Surely the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. So in other words, if you're really willing to acknowledge spiritual warfare and demonic activity, then you understand the kingdom of God. 
that it is it is very powerful. There is a war going on. There is a strategy against us. And Jesus has come to rescue. He's come to deliver. He is the deliverer. Then he goes on to explain, 21, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. This is normal common sense. If you have a house and you put up your, you know, um, your um, surveillance or your um, cameras or your whatever you do to protect yourself, you're armed, you're protecting your house, you've got a dog, you've got a gun, whatever you've got, whatever you're going to use, you're fully armed, you guard your place, your goods are peaceful, in peace, you're, you're, everything's safe, your kids are safe, you're safe, nobody's going to break in. But, but when a stronger than he comes, comes, it's, I'll start over, 22. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all of his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. So when you, as the guardian of your house, are overwhelmed or overcome by an invader, an intruder, someone who comes in, a thief, stronger than you, comes in and overtakes you, overpowers you, knocks you out, whatever he does. And that's exactly what the devil does with a lot of people. He knocks them out. Have you ever had a concussion? Have you ever uh, went into a place where you're disassociated, where you're not aware of what's going on? Um, You're knocked out. So what does the devil do? He comes and sets up his system inside of you and uh, begins to operate through fear and through lies and through um, fear of self-preservation. So he's setting up his system. So the, in our lives, are, we are the temple. We are the house. He says, he who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. So Jesus is really giving you a kind of a secret code to understand how this works. If you are not committed to God, if you're not seeking his way, his purposes, understanding his kingdom and that it has come, if you are still out there trying to make up your own religion and do it your way, then you are totally oblivious to this um, this destruction, this onslaught, this uh, activity of the enemy who's come up to set up against you. And so the entrance, the enemy's strategy, he comes to set up a, a strong man um, to gain entrance. He comes against you to gain entrance into your house or your body, your life, your relationships, all that pertains to your spo- He's spoiling your goods. What are your goods? Well, some of your best goods are your kids and your relationships. Um, you know, he binds the occupant. How does he do that? with lies, believing lies, ropes, fears, anxieties, and he plunders your house. He rips you off. The demons are like destroyers. They're termites. They're thugs. They go in. They set up their diabolical kingdom, um, and they do it by dividing the house. In Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, 5, and 6, he says, um, the enemy comes to set us up in opposition. And in the old King James, it says, set us up in opposition to ourselves. And you've heard people say, you know, well, he's his own worst enemy. Why would you become, why would you contradict yourself? Why would you uh, set up and be in opposition to yourself? Because your house is divided. How does the devil do that? By setting my soul, which is my flesh, mind, will, and emotions carried by my body, sets it up in opposition to the spirit, the counsel of God's spirit, to my spirit. And so he sets up, Satan sets up a debate in my mind through doubt confusion through the experiences of the past, uh, sprinkles it with fear uh, and the control and panic. And he does this to create an argument that he wants to present against my spirit. My spirit listening to God says, I know. My heart and my mind say, I think and I feel. And so feeling and thinking are very inferior to knowing. However, we have been trained to use our mind 
and our heart. So we, by experience, we have given them a priority position in determining making decisions. So I'm going to go with what I think, what I feel, because that's what I've learned. That's what I've experienced. I experienced that, and therefore my experiences, I am validating them as all true because I've experienced them, which is absolutely bogus because a lot of people have been through the same things, experienced probably the same things, and come to a totally opposite conclusion, which means your experiences are very vulnerable and believe the devil can really um, influence them, tip them, whichever way he wants to create particular filters. Uh, For example, some people are sexually abused and they feel violated and stupid and no good. Other people are sexually abused. They believe it's love and they go after it and they do it some more. Um, it's, It's just, you know, however you're trained and tipped by the enemy, but you're divided. And this debate sets up doubt, confusion, uh, double-minded. So this this strong man that you were, consecrated, dedicated, absolutely confident, is now in 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 the in being deceived and being brought to desolation or destruction for the final collapse of our house. Most of us are living in houses that are collapsing. Um, is your house like collapsing all around you? Yes, probably. Why? Because you're in spiritual warfare and you don't you don't agree with it or you don't deal with it or you don't know it. Now, another question. How do demons manifest? And before we get to that part, let's take another quick break here, and I'll be right back. 347-215-8051. Extra, extra, read all about it. God's in trouble. You've just tuned in to EUL, Eternity Uplink, where you are getting all the up-to-the-minute information on the biggest news since the flood. The Court of Heaven has been called into a special session to resolve the dispute in the landmark trial between God and Satan. The shock has left the earth spinning. I heard that the battle is over the souls of the humans. The score was never really settled at Eden, and now it's erupted into this. Satan challenging God's right to rule the world. Can you believe it? First Eden, now Earth, where will it stop? Stay tuned for the latest developments as the story unfolds. Or download the latest episodes to your iPod. This is Angel Anchor. And Court Reporter for EUL. Amen. That's God on Trial. That's a very cool audio drama that we've worked on for several years now. We're up to episode, I think it's 16. And for those of you who are looking for something to do for your kids for Christmas, this is awesome. This is really both educational, entertaining, and inspirational. It's also an awesome way to witness to people who don't believe because it's very compelling, it's very entertaining, uh, and it's uh, totally out of the Bible. And so we have actors, uh, professional actors, we have professional sound um, sound design, and so it's uh, it's available at our website, liferecovery.com. It's called God on Trial. Uh, kids like it, adults like it, um, and so I'd suggest you look that up. All right, back to how does the devil, how do demons, I should say, manifest? Um, well, let's see. They are discerned by what they do. I mean, that's one way we can name a demon, and, and to cast out a demon, <clears throat> Jesus would often name them. <clears throat> Name them by what they did. Um, and so, for one, we have the uh, Jesus himself. They called him insane or mad in uh, John chapter 10, verse 20. So demons can create insanity um, or people who look mad or don't make sense are 
contradicting themselves, um, set up in opposition to themselves, can also include things like multiple personality and disassociative disidentity disorder. Uh, multiple personalities, for example, I just described that as, um, there are, say there are several demons in that person, um, can be many, can be a few, but each one's a little different. And so whoever's in the driver's seat at that moment is the one who's manifesting. And we can have fear and, and well, for example, um, you know, one that's driving right now is insane. He's freaking you out. He's throwing a fit. He's manifesting insanity. He's needs to be locked up and committed. And he's like totally uh, making you look like you're totally out of your your ever-living mind and you're going nuts. He gets kicked out of the driver's seat and in comes cool and calm and collected. I'm in control. I'm okay. There's nothing wrong because he's a spirit of control who's going to manage the insane demon. And then he gets kicked out and there's another demon that takes over and it's a child-like demon that's whimpering and vying for attention and trying to get your approval uh, and trying to seduce you uh, or make you feel sorry for it or whatever. So, you know, these drive the people who watch these, these people, drive them crazy too because they don't know what to do about these MPDs or, or insanity. They also can create things like uh, a blindness, deafness, dumbness, stupor, deformities, infirmities, convulsions, epilepsy, that sort of thing. We know these things from obviously the uh, boy that was brought to Jesus uh, in Mark 9:17, I call him the autistic boy, um, but he had, there was epilepsy, there was convulsions. There's all kinds of descriptions in that particular uh, story. That's one of the longest, most thoroughly described of all of Jesus's healing deliverances. And it, obviously, sometimes the healing, uh, well, when Jesus did, sometimes there were demons that left and the, the healing was instant, as it was in this case. And it's interesting, if you really look into that, by the way, if you really want to take that um, story apart and wonder why people can't concentrate and what's going on in their lives, your children, attention deficit, hyperactivity. Uh, there's a CD on our website called uh, Why Can't I Concentrate? And it's all about this parable, this story, this healing, and it's all about the demonic activity. So some of the demons mentioned here, at Jesus named right, uh, the father mentioned the mute spirit, and he told him what the mute spirit did. It seized him. It throws him down. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth or grinds his teeth and gets rigid or whatever. Um, your disciples could not cast him out. He answers it. Oh, faithless generation, how long will I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. So he was. Jesus is saying this is a generational problem. He was also saying it's a social problem because our society these days has given place to so much idolatry and witchcraft. Our autistic rates are skyrocketing because we, we do a lot of things. Uh, to our children, and because of the faithless or the lack of faith, faithlessness, uh, lack of faith, and, and the doubt, and also because of sexual perversion, um, faithless and perverse, it says in one of the other verses, uh, gen, uh, um, renditions in one of the other gospels, faithless and perverse. So perversion and doubt, faithlessness, are the two precursors to what we see happening with our kids these days. The autistic takeover, if you will, because we're unclean. We're opening the, the, the door up for perverse spirits. And those perverse spirits, those unclean spirits, the sexual perversions and things cause us to lose our minds. We don't want to think about things, remember those things. We block them out. We disassociate with them. We disconnect them. And because we do that, <clears throat> our society is not, uh, we're not paying attention. We're not on task. We're not on target. We're 
uh, flaking out. We're uh, escaping. Our kids are being programmed by everything they watch and everything they take in and listen to. And those things are enhancing the structures that Satan is building within this divided house of your child, for example, or in yourself. So they brought him to Jesus, and he began to convulse the minute he came into the presence of Jesus. Obviously, this will often happen when you're when you uh, come into the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, in, in in a person that's strong in God, um, and these people will begin to manifest. This happens often at an altar. Uh, and sometimes it's mistaken for the Holy Spirit working in them. They're, they're, you know, convulsing and they're carrying on and they're shaking and trembling. And we think that's God. That is not God. God says here, when you're convulsing and falling down like that and, and, and out of control, that writhing, that is a manifestation of a demon or demons. That is not how the Holy Spirit deals with us. In the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, were they all flat on the floor convulsing when the Holy Spirit came upon them? Were they freaking out, flipping out? No, they people thought they were drunk because they were speaking in tongues. I have a little more time. I think I'll take it. <clears throat> anyway, they were convulsing, not in the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost. So you see, when the Holy Spirit is truly at the altar with people, there will be a gentle, there will be a, a, a sweetness. There won't be this violent manifestation. So the boy is brought to Jesus. He begins to convulse on the ground and wallowing, foaming at the mouth, wallowing. People are wallowing. <clears throat> excuse me. They're wallowing in their lives, you know, getting no or pining away, getting not able to make uh, your life count or make it feel like it's worth anything. So what is God doing then? He's seeing the spirit is stealing the life. The kid is foaming at the mouth. What does that mean? Actually, when someone is foaming at the mouth, excuse me, <clears throat> I think I need a drink. When someone's foaming at the mouth, it really means that they're they're rotting, they're fermenting. Their food is fermenting inside of their stomach, doesn't it? And this is the presence of a thing in fermentation, oftentimes the presence of a thing called tartaric acid. Now, this is not off the subject because a lot of times you find that these kids that are autistic are eating too much sugar. How do you make wine? How do you, it foams, it froths, you add some sugar to it, whatever, or the sweetness of the sugar begins to ferment the food. And the food happened to be the grape or whatever it is. But now in this child, there's a fermentation. So we see that the demon is manifesting in the child's physical body. He's doing things to his body, not just um, that we can see, but there's internal things that are going on. So he's foaming uh, and he's, and the, and Jesus asked the man, how long has this been happening? I believe he just did that for our information because he said from childhood. So we know that this is a childhood affliction. This child not able to withstand the demonic assault in his life and the generational curses that were probably coming down his bloodline had been taken over somehow through some trauma in childhood. And how many of our children are being taken over by some of the most insidious things? Um, and whether it's separation anxiety, whether it's attention deficits, whether it's um, uh, can't concentrate in school, um, can't uh, pay attention or remember things. There's be, it's subtly being taken over, but this child was taken over at a crisis point and it had manifested even now. Um, so he was thrown, he was thrown in both in the fire and in the water. In other words, this is a spirit of self-destruction to try to annihilate. There's, there's no reason. There's no uh, caution. Everything. It's reckless, careless, abandonment. Who cares? This kid is out of control. 
And so the father would have to chase him around to keep him alive. And some of you have done that with your kids to the point where you're exhausted and you don't know what to do anymore. And, and you're, you're beside yourself. So the enemy is trying to destroy the child. The father's uh, trying to keep him alive. Um, and the father says, if you can have any compa- if you have any compassion to Jesus, please help us. And Jesus said, um, if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes. Well, this is a big, tall order. This is a lot to ask of a man who's just been so trained up in failure and death and destruction and condemnation. Um, and he said, he, but he was, he was very wise. He said, Lord, help my unbelief. I'm not, I, I got some doubt here. I, I just, I don't know. You know, how many of us have doubt? You, you have doubt. That's okay to have doubt. Doubt means that there's a demon there trying to, to displace God's truth in you. And you can say that. Yeah, I got, help my unbelief. Lord, you help my doubt. Lord, you get rid of this doubt. Lord, I'm giving, I'm giving you the responsibility to, t- to deal with my unbelief because I'm giving it to you. Lord, help it. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You do it. You fix it. So when you give your doubt and unbelief to Jesus, you've actually made a step of an act of faith in giving it to him because he's faithful. So when Jesus saw the crowd running together because he knew they wanted to see the show, he rebuked the unclean spirit. Now, if you can't name a spirit in any other way, and you're trying to think of a name and, you know, you don't know what to call it. All spirits, all demons are unclean, all of them, and they're all manifested and, and part of the system of fear. So you can call it fear, you can call it uncleanness, and you've named it well. You name the demons by what they do or by what they hold on to. And this is by what he's, he's doing. And he says, then he, he got specific, he says, uh, he re- rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, you deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and enter him no more. So the deaf and dumb spirit was causing the child to be deaf. He could not hear. He could not take in instructions. He couldn't follow directions. He couldn't uh, be reasoned with. He couldn't hear or understand. He couldn't even hear it. And dumb means he couldn't express himself. He couldn't tell his father what was wrong or how he was feeling. So a deaf and dumb spirit will forbid or keep the child or the person from taking in information um, through a spirit of deafness he can't get it. He doesn't hear it. He doesn't know it. If you can't hear it, you can't be warned. If you don't hear it, you don't understand. And then it would pre- it prevent this, the child from expressing. So the ability to process information, if any information did get in, was also limited in that he couldn't express it. So no one could connect with him. No one knew what the child wanted or what he needed or what was going on. The only way he could express himself was through the violent physical uh, convulsions or the insane kind of running around behavior. Uh, And that's with our autistic children. A lot of them can't take in information. They don't look like they're paying attention and they can't express it. And no one would say they have a deaf and dumb spirit. They would say they're autistic. Well, autistic is what we call it now. We label it nice, but still it's an operating of a spirit. And a lot of times these deaf and dumb spirits have come through the generational bloodlines and they will manifest in the generations before as deafness. If your people are deaf, if there's a spirit of uncleanness, sexual perversion, or doubt, if any of those things are operating, you have fertile ground for this kind of thing to happen. And believe you me, in our society today, this is exactly what we have. And so the deaf and dumb spirit, and he said to it, enter him no, come out of him and enter him no more. I think it's interesting he said enter him no more because the spirit was dumb and he had to be told for sure not to come back. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as, as one dead. So they said, he's dead. So this spirit was the animating life behind 
this child. And when the spirit came out, boom, there's no more movement. There's no more animation. He looks like he's dead. And Jesus took him by the hand and he rose. So the devil and his activities, antics, uh, were what actually were manifesting almost 100% in the child. The child had no actions uh, of his own until Jesus lifted him up and, and restored unto him his own life and, and, and ability and power. So a lot of people are truly powered, empowered, acting on the power of the enemy. So we see that the, the demons can create uh, convulsions uh, and epilepsy, um, seizuring. Um, that is not from God. You say, well, yeah, well, some people are just born that way. Well, yeah, I would say their DNA code has been tampered with even before they were totally fully formed or born. Um, sometimes demons will manifest as very extremely, extraordinarily intelligent. I'm not saying people with high IQs uh, and are smart are, have demons. God has also given us you know, gave Adam and Eve a very sound mind, very intelligent, but this extraordinary intelligence where um, it's almost, you know, beyond what humans can think and how fast they can think, it could be very much a demonic intelligence. Um, they also can be very undefeatable uh, in an argument. If you are working with someone else's demon in an argument, a husband, wife, um, they can ca- they can cut you. They can come up with an, a retaliation, a retort, an argument uh, to flatten you, shut you down, shut you up within seconds uh, with the speed of light, basically. So they're very good at arguing and defending their cause and making you look stupid and cutting you down. So they can also manifest as extreme emotion, extreme crying, uh, extreme uh, distortions in emotion. Um, laughter uh, beyond what's reasonable, um, emotional, um, belligerence, rage, anger. A lot of drama, demons set up a lot of drama to create chaos and pull things in a different direction. If you're walking, if you're home and your house is full of chaos and drama, your kids are all upset and, um, you know, it, it wrecks the house, it wrecks the evening, it wrecks the meal, it wrecks, you know, the vacation. You need to take authority over those drama things, those drama demons and the chaos that they're trying to create to bring you all into a conflict. And you bind it and you command these things to leave. If you begin to do this, instead of just, oh, you know, well, this is, it is what it is. No, it is not what it appears to be. It is a demonic spirit. You need to look at it that way. So re- command the chaos, the conflict, the, the anger, the anxiety, the paralysis, whatever, to go. Now we see that there's also demons who paralyze people. Um, they can paralyze their mind, their body. They can cause them to be fanatic, obs- obsessed, fearful. Um, you see the, the demoniac was cutting himself and, and the chains couldn't hold him and he was like out of control. And um, that's also self-injury. The cutting demons are you know very prevalent these days. Um, that's not me. Why would I want to cut myself? Why would I want to injure myself? Why would I want to bleed like that? So it's, it's really... Um, these demons that are uh, wanting self-destruction, wanting blood, um, wanting to control you, wanting to destroy you. And, you know, we take them to the ER, we take, we put them on a 72 hour hold. We, you know, put them in the locked unit, whatever we do, but we don't really deal with the demons. And the people who have the authority to deal with the demons are you and I who believe in Jesus Christ. And if you're a parent, you have even more authority because they're yours, they're your kids. So, um, begin to step up to the plate and stop acting like a like you don't know what's going on because the Holy Spirit does know, and if you listen to Him, you would also know. Also, there are demons who attack us in our night, in, in our sleep, in in the dreams, the sexual assaults, 
the, a lot of people are attacked in their, their sleep with a sexual uh, assault against their physical body. These are called incubi and sushibai. These are demonic spirits who uh, crave sex. And they get you, they attack you, um, they make you feel bad, dirty, guilty, like I did something wrong. And you don't realize it's a demon attacking you to get his own or its own sexual pleasure. They also can create um, fidgeting, uh, hyperactivity, irritabilities or irritations. And another interesting one is discomfort in the body. Uh, They can stretch your skin so it's too tight, like you're living in something that's too tight and too uncomfortable. And so um, these kinds of things, people don't think of this as demonic. They just, but how many people can't wear their clothes or they feel uncomfortable? And I don't know what it would be like to be always too tight in your own skin. That would be awful. But there are people who have that and they can't wear this certain kind of clothing and they've got to have whatever. But these are demonic spirits who are, are shrinking, I would suppose, your skin so that it doesn't fit you well. Um, and or there's uh, they can there's so many ways these demons can hurt you. They can mess up your immune system. They can set you up in opposition to yourself. Um, they cause feelings of catastrophe, suffocation, claustrophobia, panic. Um, they, the catastrophe is like they're putting an impending doom upon you. You're afraid. Uh, suffocation, can't breathe, can't can't you know think. Uh, they're clogging up your brain. Snatching, they also snatch. Um, so we just have to, um, uh, yes. So they just have to, um, we have to realize that these things are not just, it is what it is. And this is just life and it's just normal, but that these things are spiritual and rooted in demonic spirits. Hey, let's take another quick commercial while I take a drink. And this number you can call us at is three, four, seven, two, one, five, eight, zero, five, one. We're going to go a little bit longer, maybe five more minutes or 10. Life Recovery offers a wide variety of books, teaching manuals, CDs, and DVDs, all designed to expose Satan's lies and equip believers with the powerful weapons of spiritual warfare. Sweet and to the point. Short, sweet and to the point. Hey, check out Life Recovery. Got a lot of stuff out there that might be very interesting to you. So going back to how the demons manifest um, another one that we take for granted a lot is um, the addictions. There's cravings, um, craving for certain foods. Now, I understand that God has set up our bodies to crave certain things that we might need. If you are depleted or low in certain things, you might crave pickle juice. You might crave as a mineral. You might crave some chocolate. or. But really, your body is craving something it needs. But the devil uses that same system of cravings, for example, to create a spirit of cravings. Uh, and it's very interesting in the Amplified Bible. Uh, Paul in Romans six twelve says, let not sin therefore rule as king in your short-lived uh, mortal perishable bodies to make you obey it in its lusts, evil passions and cravings. So he's really saying, don't let the devil control you and make you do what it wants. Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee. And we submit to God, resist the devil in the name of Jesus Christ, because Jesus said, I've given you power over all the power of the enemy. You know, if your life is in such a mess, it really, you can't get any worse, can it? Why don't you start doing the right things and just believe God? You're going to walk out of this thing one step at a time. And it's, it's going to be a, you're going to have to make up your mind that this truly is what's going on. And you want nothing to do with it. And you want to cancel out the lies. And you want Jesus, the Holy Spirit within you, to show you what the lies are. Because if you have 
um, addictions, cravings for food, for corrupting substances, for uh, destroying your life. Why would you want to gamble your life away? Why would you want to waste your inheritance? Why would you want to throw? Why? Does that make any sense? That's nuts. Another demon that manifests often and gets, gets by with bloody murder is pain. Pain comes in and with, oh, it's just pain. Well, everybody has pain. Well, we're just human. We're getting old. You know, everybody has aches and pains. Uh, there's no record, actually, that Jesus had any pain except when he died on the cross. I mean, pain as just an everyday accepted, well, that's, it is what it is. Why don't you try rebuking pain for a change? Why don't you try rebuking that cold, that, infer, that fever, that inflammation? Actually, Jesus rebuked the fever and it left. Interesting, immediately left. That sounds like something that was in and left and left, went out, in and left, went out, instead of something that goes away gradually. Now, I understand there are things we can do. There are, um, you know, cold packs and there are aspirins and all kinds of things. But don't out neglect to do the spiritual thing um, as well as any kind of uh, medical things or human things you can do. But Jesus didn't get a cold pack. He didn't say get her a cold press, get her an ice pack. He just rebuked the fever. So pain, stiffness, tightness in the skeleton, the muscles, the nerves, the demons can mess with your nerves and pinch and bind and cause excruciating pain. Um, And he can blame it on an accident you had 40 years ago. Seriously. Oh, it's the accident. You know what? If God healed you, he healed you. He didn't leave pain around. Why would he leave pain as a residue? He didn't do that. But the devil says, well, it was because I had that car. It's my neck. It's stiff. You know, your neck is probably stiff because you have a spirit of witchcraft coming down your generational bloodline that's messing with your sixth or seventh vertebrae, six probably, and giving you a stiff neck and a backache because witchcraft always manifests often, eventually, as a back pain, pain in the back, backaches, attacks on your back. Okay, so the, the, the demons can also manifest as um, uh, poisoning of the body, toxic retention, um, keeping your body from exchanging and get rid of, getting rid of poisons, whether it's a, you know, or it, you know, manifests as diarrhea or, or constipation sometimes. Um, your body is responding to demonic stuff, and so your body is, your body's trying to serve you well. It's trying to heal you, take care of you, uh, and live in truth. But if you keep lying, your body isn't going to buy for those lies for very long. Your body's finally going to say, you know what, stop pretending like everything's okay. It's not okay. I can't do this anymore. You're pushing me too hard. I can't be perfect. Just let me do what God created me to do for crying out loud. But no, we push our bodies. We, we buffet our bodies. We, then there's malabsorption where you eat the food and it doesn't go in. Or there's the fat retention where you, it doesn't burn the food. The mitochondria and the cells aren't working right. So the devil's in there messing with it. You say, well, is everything a devil or a demon, I should say. Well, if it's not from God, if it's not from heaven, it's from hell. There's no third kingdom. There's no other option. And so you don't want to believe that? Well, then don't believe it. If there's a, but I'm not saying that the enemy can only work in a spiritual re- a realm. He also works in the natural realm. He works in your physical body. He works in, in the atmosphere. He works in the prince of the power of the air. You know, he can get into a lot of things. That doesn't mean that your body now is it's just all spiritual your body is a physical object being vessel and it it needs to be taken care of and god told us how to do it how to eat how to rest how to uh, abide in the truth so but we also know that because we have given the devil many uh, through these agreements permission to a passive agreements implied consent uh, permissions contracts invitations uh willing 
willingness is important. The, the leper who came to Jesus said, uh, Lord, you know, I have, heal me. And he said, if, are you willing? And Jesus said, I am willing. And so the willingness of this man and the willingness of Jesus was enough to cancel out the contract that Satan had held over this man with the leprosy. And the leprosy, it also says, left him, immediately left him in Luke 5.13. The fever leaving is in Mark 1.31, and it's also told about in uh, Luke 4.38, uh, I believe, where he rebuked the fever and left. So we also know from uh, from way back in Genesis that God told Cain that sin crouches at the door waiting to devour you. Or So it's it's like something that pounces. So we see that these demons have... Um, it's not a it's not a a concept. A demon is a disembodied spirit. It has it can crouch, it can move, it can leave quickly, it can enter, it can paralyze, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So the paralysis um, that Jesus healed the paralytic in Luke five twenty five. It says immediately he rose up and he walked. He didn't go out for physical therapy and and wear use crutches for you know work his way back. Not to say that we don't have these gifts from God and not to say that you have to have an instant healing or you're not saved. I'm not saying that. Don't go freaking out. What I'm saying is that Jesus, when he did it, it was done and they didn't need to do any more stuff. It was praise God completely done. He had fixed everything. The guy with the withered hand, he didn't have to go back and have hand therapy. He was okay. Mark chapter 3 verse 5. And I'm not saying, you know, these things aren't good. But I'm saying, what I'm saying is immediately something left, got out of the way. And so the, the real natural abilities of the hand or, or the, uh, the, the body could come back into play. And so the miracle is what we look at as immediate. Healings were both immediate and sometimes gradual. Deliverance is immediate. And so we also see where Jesus dealt with demons that were religious spirits. And I think this is an interesting, curious little conversation in Mark chapter 1. And, you know, if you just Google, or not Google, I shouldn't say maybe Google, but look in your concordance, uh, look up the word demons and interactions with demons, whatever, and you'll find some very interesting stories in the Bible. In in Mark chapter 1, um, verse 21, this is a very interesting conversation um, that Jesus was having with a demon who went to church, by the way, and I would call him a religious spirit and an unclean spirit. Okay, he says, uh, Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. So we see Jesus here, a real person, a human, a being, who is going to church, who is also the Son of God, who has an assignment, but he's going to church. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In other words, he backed what he said by what he did. And he did many, many miracles. Um, now, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. I don't know if he was sitting in the front row or the back row. He had an unclean spirit. He was probably tormented, feeling guilty, ashamed. I don't know what he looked like. Probably looked kind of gross if you have an unclean spirit. You're usually pretty unkept looking. Um, and in the end, he cried out, and he said, Let us alone. Now, this unclean spirit was plural. He had more than one. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? So this one voice has behind it many, a team, a team, if you will. He's representing the team and saying, what are you doing here? This is our church. This is our turf. This is our place. What are you, Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus, they were worried about being kicked out ahead of time, destroyed ahead of time. 
Have you come to destroy us? I know we I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him and said, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him, he cried out with a loud voice and he came out. A lot of times when the demons do leave, there is a trembling, a convulsing, a sneezing, a coughing, some sort of indication um, that this thing is departing. And they were amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, Who is this? What new doctrine? What authority? For even the unclean spirits obey him. Um, So we see that Jesus had authority over the unclean spirits. And there was a reason for that, because he was about to give us that power and authority. He he interacts with these beings as if they're real. He has conversations with them. And when um, they saw him, they would fall down. They would worship. And in Mark chapter 3, verse 11, we have the, it says, and the unclean spirits, wherever, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, you are the son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should make, not make him known. They were going to you know, let the cat out of the bag, so to speak. They wanted to, um, you know, they were worshiping him. They knew who he was. They knew that they had to worship him. But the unclean spirits fell down. They, they knew he was the son of God. And Jesus wasn't ready to have that be known yet. So at that time, and later he gave the power to cast out demons to his followers, in Luke 10 and Mark 3:15, he, he says, um, "Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and cast out demons." And you say, "Oh yeah, but that was just the 12." Well, do you think Jesus would just do all this for 12 people and for that generation when his whole intention was to pra- uh, uh, pass that gospel, the gospel of grace and mercy and salvation in, in the cross? down to all of us. Does that make any sense that he would limit this power to 12 people? And in, in John 17, he says he prayed that for us, he prayed that, that uh, the same spirit and power and protection that was on them would be upon us. And so um, in Luke 10, let's look at that very quickly. Um, you know, about the, um, he, this is one of the uh, primary places in Luke chapter 10. Talks about, the, and then we go into 11 where we've been for a while today already. This is the end. We're going to speak speak about this, and then we'll wrap it up. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. He says, um, And when the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. Well, we know now it's moved from 12 to 70 people, casting out demons, dealing with demons, binding them, whatever. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So he was there at the very beginning when the war in heaven broke out between Michael and Satan. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Serpents? Does it just, we're just going to walk on snakes and scorpions here? Or were these serpents referring back to the serpent? And over all the power of the enemy, what power? And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Whatever the devil comes up with, whatever his little demons kind of concoct, um, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So he's saying, your ability to cast out demons, to bind demons, is, is, is good, but it's not as great as the fact that you have been saved. You've been called by my name. You follow me. And um, then, it, of course, he says um, in uh, Matthew 18, 16, 18 and 18, 18, he says, Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. I believe most of us nowadays just don't do that. We're just so passive. We don't even attempt to um, 
Matthew 16, 18. And I say to you that what, and you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, that wasn't just given to Peter. That was given to all of us who would follow and be, he says, uh, make us um, sons and daughters of the Most High God. In Matthew 18, 18, he says it again. Surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, binding and loosing demons, binding and loosing, uh, releasing the will of God, forbidding the enemy's will. This is what binding and loosing means. So again, we've had a, a big, long study today, lots to learn. Um, I Thanks for joining us. Um, this is where spiritual warfare, where the rubber hits the road in your own personal life, where the enemy is trying to take you out. Thanks for listening, and we'll have another talk again soon about something about the same. Spiritual warfare, the attack specifically, what's going on in your life. Give us a call. Email us at um, liferecovery.com is our website, or info at liferecovery.com is our email. Okay. God bless you. Have a super day. I have an emergency. What is your location? 